This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, by golly, in a stormy piney woods of north central Florida as we speak. Of course, we're in the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, and we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention locally owned. Use them and all of our great sponsors and our contributors. We welcome and thank you for that. Uh, We're going to uh, talk right now about a backup system, should we need it. We don't know what the storm is going to do to our interview with our great friend here, Andre Valadeo from Brazil, who's going to talk about the international aspects of this dance organization in a fascinating conversation, I'm sure. And should we somehow lose power, we'll back up on the generator, but it'll take a while to go on the Internet again. Uh, So essentially, we will then conduct probably our interview by phone, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Just wanted you all to know ahead of time, we try to prepare And right now, we've got a real series of red cells coming across our part of the state here in Florida. So, uh, uh, Plantation Mark is checking in. I don't know. He's complaining that the deer ate all his green beans last night. Well, let me get you a violin, Mark. The deer coming here, and I don't know how they know it, but they eat the stuff that we like before we even know they're in the yard. Uh, Get a dog. Get a big dog and let him run him off. Andre Valadeo is with us today. He is one of my favorite people, of course, and I like all the dance people, but uh, I call him Andy, and that's what I'm going to have to call him. Uh, Andy is um, an international superstar, really. He has danced all over the world and um, has been a very active and agile male dancer. Now I think I don't want to tell his age, but he is reaching the... uh, (laughs) Half century mark, maybe, uh, and is one of the most daring and and uh, wonderful people to watch dance that I've ever known. Uh, and besides being a good friend, and I think what we're going to talk about is he's gotten back from Brazil, where he's from, and uh, or somebody has that he knows. I think that's the deal. Get me straight on this, Andy. And uh, we're going to talk about the international flavor of Dance Alive National Ballet which I've always kind of secretly called international ballet because all the participants are from all over the world and indeed travel the world. So, Andy, before I screw it up anymore, uh, tell me what I'm talking about, sir. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, what you're talking about is um, we're just off of our um, regular season here, so a uh, bunch of people get to traveling around and doing some guessings some places and what happened this year was we got um two 
actually three major festivals uh, going on in Brazil that Dance Alive attended. So the first one was um, Carla Mancio and Jose Antonio Ramos. They went to a festival in the northern area of Brazil in Recife, and uh, they were judges and taught some classes and stuff like that. And from that one, they got invited to a second one. So that was the first thing that happened there. Uh, the second thing that happened, and that's the 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 one that um, I think is the the most interesting one, is there's this symposium. It's a international dance symposium uh, happening in my city, in Belo Horizonte, in Brazil. And uh, the director of the symposium is a friend of mine from uh, middle school. Uh, we've known each other for. 40 years, and uh, she organizing the whole thing. She called me for help with guests, and I know a lot of people in the world dance, so I, I was helping her to get people, to get uh, international guests. Uh, her name is Eleni Reyes, and um, she was um, preparing the festival, and then at the same time, she invited me uh, to go dance with Ashley at the festival. So the plan was uh, I was going down with Ashley, spend some time in my home city with my mom and, you know, family with Ashley and dance at this festival. The whole thing was like uh, very good for me because it combined uh, two things. Uh, the thing is... Ashley got pregnant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm telling who so Ashley she, is. Tell them who Ashley is now. Oh, Ashley's my wife. <laughs> and a dancer. So, and a dancer. And a dancer. She's a principal here at Dance Alive. And um, we were supposed to dance together. Uh, anyway, uh, she got pregnant. So we redone the whole um, Dance Alive aspect of the thing. Uh, what I did was I inserted a couple more people to go in the group, in the Dance Alive group, and it worked out. And Eleni said, okay, we'll bring the whole group and do it a, a bigger thing. So we were um, one of the opening acts of the, the first gala night of the festival, the, the, the opening night of the festival. Uh, Dance Alive uh, brought three different numbers. We brought a classical number, the Swan Lake Black Swan Padre, with Rosemary Diorio and Gabriel. Um, I'll get his last name. Um, we got a contemporary solo with Nathan. Uh, also, get his last name for you in a second. <laughs> and, and me. Dancing a solo that uh, is a Kim Tuttle uh, choreography. Kim is our director, for people that don't know. Um, she made the choreography. It's called Los Hermanos with a, um, a song, a, a live song sung by Wilson Tremura. And um, that's it. it. It was three numbers. We were, got spread all through the night, so it you know, a little bit of dance alive, first act, second act, and all of that. And and it was a great deal for us. And 
it was a great experience too. The festival there is uh, a little different from everything you see around. Nowadays, dance festivals have a big, uh, big competition component. Most festivals are all about the competition and, you know, getting little prizes and medals for, for the, the students and all of that. This festival has a, a differential. The, the symposium is more about the learning and the exchanging of ideas and the exchanging of experiences and classes and, um, you know, uh, talks. So all of that happens in a couple of weeks. And in those weeks, uh, I taught classes. I saw some um students dancing uh we gave out scholarships including really? scholarships yeah it was scholarships for the the our uh, uh for our summer um intensive here in in Gainesville the dance alive summer intensive which is uh connected to Pofal Studios intensive so um all of that happened in that festival and they do a great job down there in you know this this area the the learning and the exchanging of ideas like i said it's it's more of a uh all about dance thing but not so much about the little competition you know so it's that's very intriguing to someone like me i've never been to brazil but i've heard you tell stories one of the most fascinating stories you've told of course is the one of going into the little town in the amazon heart of the rainforest <laughs> now, that still blows my mind um uh, Ray Stern says good morning, Andy. And um, uh, <laughs> hey, Ray. good morning, Larry, Larry Nagel, a longtime friend. But um, it's always blown my mind that a culture, you know, is needed so much uh, in these places and it makes life bearable, you know, and enjoyable and elevates and all that good stuff. And uh, uh, that story you tell, maybe we'll have to tell that again because I'm sure there's some people. <laughs> Let's do tell it again, because I'm sure there's some new folks that haven't heard this story. Uh, and I want to get back to what you just went to and, you know, how dance got to be so embedded in the Brazilian culture is another fascinating theme I think we can pursue. Um, it's really interesting. So where you would you, you want to go to the Amazon and then come back to the other thing? Sure. Uh, the Amazon thing was um, end of the 80s, maybe beginning of the 90s. Uh there was this um, company uh, in Brazil, in my state. It's a mining company. They, they mine uh, pretty much just iron ore. And um, what they were doing was they were setting up this little village in the Amazon to um, be the, the base of operations for their um, mining uh place up there and uh what um what happened was that the people that were building they uh were with this school uh pythagoras i think uh was the name of the school and they were not just interested in building a school and they had a little theater and all of that they were interested in bringing some culture to to the the workers down there not even just the uh you know the heads of the thing because there was a, a bunch of uh you know uh, suit and ties up there too but uh 
mostly the actual workers, the actual uh, factory and, and, you know, mining workers, they wanted to bring something different and they contacted um, our school in Brazil, uh, Cristina Helena, it's uh, the school I grew up in. And we had a group uh, called Oz, <laughs> amazingly enough. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this group used to dance all over, uh, uh, like, you know, like Dance Alive, this professional group. And what they wanted was uh, the group to come to the Amazon and dance in their little theater. And um, the thing is, It was not a very straightforward trip. Uh, wow. The trip started with a, a flight, of a six-hour flight from my city to uh, Manaus, which is the capital of the, the Amazon state uh, in Brazil, Amazonia uh, in Brazil. And then from there, from, the, the, from Manaus, you took a boat up the river, the river... Uh, what was the name of the river? Um, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> uh, anyway, we took a boat up the river. It was four more hours on a boat going up wow. to the, the little village. And then you get to the village and it's, you know, little tiny town, uh, pre-molded, you know, little houses that they they just set up there, uh, surrounded by a, a tall fence, um, perimeter fence. And when you pass that fence, the fence is very high. It's Amazon forest. The trees are like, wow. I don't know, uh, 40 feet high just by the fence. It's already like deep forest if you cross it. And they tell you not to cross the fence because, you know, wild animals are all around, mostly Uh, the dangerous one is just the jaguars that um, that are up there. The rest is like monkeys and sloths and not so dangerous ones. Although the monkeys can become pretty riled up. Uh, anyway, we get to the village. Uh, we go up to see the theater. They don't have... Uh, the best flooring for dancing. So we asked them if we can set something down, some kind of, uh, normally we, we travel with this, um, Marley, uh, it, this, uh, linoleum, you know, type of, of floor that we set down for dance, which makes it easier for us to, to grip the floor. Uh, what they had that was closest to it was, Conveyor belts for the mine and ore, <laughs> which, which was not that close because the Marley floors are very thin, you know, very um, yeah. easy to put down. The conveyor belts was like, you know, wow, three inches yeah. thick. And yeah, it was like very rubbery. So it was a, a very interesting experience to dance oh, on, on, on that thick of a rubber thing. And it was a great experience to dance for people that uh, normally don't see that kind of stuff. Even when they're in their own towns, uh, it's simpler people that don't have access to, uh, well, ballet. Uh, yeah. Even the access they have to cultural uh, things is, is 
more of a popular culture kind of kind of stuff. So ballet for them was very removed from the reality, and uh, it was a great great experience to have done that, and you know, in a setting that's not the best, but it was really one of the best uh, experience I could have had in my career. Like, and you have danced all, tell, you just to put this in context, all the other places you have danced, uh, just a quick kind of, you know, we don't have to have everything, but just to put this, this Amazonian dance in context. We're, we're all, we're all well, uh, the regular places I, I danced in France for a few years. Uh, I danced in England uh, for a couple of years, I danced in Brazil for sure. I danced in municipal theater in Brazil uh, for seven years, a big opera house, uh, and all over the world: China, Japan, Argentina. Um, you can you know just all over Europe? Uh, but this sticks out. This really is all, all regular. Well, it every other experience is regular theaters although when i was in my city in belo horizonte uh when i went back for a few years and danced with the sesiminas dance company there we used to uh because sesiminas is um the federation of industries owns the company so what happens is because it's the federation of industries um sponsorship the federation takes their cultural uh, things to the industries. So we danced in uh, construction sites. We danced in uh, big factories. Uh, always they would come, the Federation would come, set up a stage, uh, wooden built stage, and we would dance like right there in, in lunchtime or something like that. The, the workers would stop what they're doing, gather around, watch the show, and go back to work. Wow. So I had that kind of experience in Brazil uh, more than once. But, yeah, the, the Amazon one was uh, pretty special. Well, for sure. Tom and Alan Valadon here, and uh, your buddy Ray, our buddy Ray, is wanting to know when the ballerinas do. <laughs> <laughs> ballerinas do in October. Ah, uh, October. That's yeah, good. It's, right. Okay, it's we got a little that boy. It's now, coming Ray. in October. Okay. So Andy Valadon is um, really, you've assumed more and more responsibility with this dance organization from the time I've known you. Can you go through that kind of uh, progression that you've been involved in? Yeah, I can't teacher, do this more a lot. You're a teacher now probably than ever, right? Yeah, um, kind of, yeah. Uh, uh, I came to Dance Alive in 2007. Uh, by 2010, I was already helping with some aspects of uh the day-to-day -day of the, the company, helping with rehearsals and a couple of classes. Uh, and a few years ago, I became assistant director uh, and I helped uh, Kim with all the, well, all the things she needs help with. <laughs> Whenever she needs yeah. something yeah. done, yeah, I, I, I'm there and, and I, can, I can do it. I do uh, teach lots of classes on the day-to-day -day, uh, of the company. Right now, uh, I'm teaching, I'm still teaching, even though we're off-season, I still teach a daily class for the, the members of the company that stuck around and need, you know, to keep in shape. Uh, because dancers 
we get our vacation time, but we don't actually uh, take the vacation all the way because if we stop completely uh, coming back after weeks or months of uh, hiatus is very hard for the body. So we tend to keep the body going, even though um, we don't have like shows programmed right now. We keep it going. So come September, when we come back to uh, active, you know, dancing on stage and all that, we're still in shape and, and didn't lose too much uh, muscle mass and all that. So I help with that. Uh, I help with, uh, you know, carrying stuff, driving cars, uh, teaching classes, <laughs> whatever she needs me to do, I'm there. Well, let's talk about what it looks like from your point of view about the possibilities. And I think they're very, very realistic. I think it'll happen uh, for a new dance facility. I mean, it's going to be something, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. I mean, uh, we've been uh, sharing the, the the school here with the Pofal Studios for, I mean, in my case, for the next 16 years, uh, the company's been here for almost 50 uh and uh, it's time it's time for the company to to you know have, have a, a bigger place a place that we can uh explore in in different ways like if the whole project comes to fruition we're gonna have a a, a little uh, black box which means uh having shows done there and uh, our own uh, warehouse to house our uh, sets and costumes and all that, which are many. The, the the warehouse we have right now, it's kind of getting smaller for everything we need to, to put up. Anyway, it's a, a big project. It's a, a lot of money um, in it. Uh, we are still raising that money right now. Uh, we encourage people to donate <laughs> right. because uh, it's it's a big project and uh, it would mean a lot uh, not just to dance alive because it would uh, take the company to a, a higher level of you know uh, activity, but it would mean a lot. I I think for Gainesville and uh, the the county, the Alachua County to have such a center in Gainesville and, uh, uh, you know, international level company that we already have to have an international level uh, site to work in. That would uh, mean a lot to us. And we're hoping that uh, it will happen soon. Uh, maybe last couple of uh, next couple of years, we'll see it happening. And we, we're hoping that it will really bring something new to, to the area. Well, I don't think there's any doubt of what it will. And I think as the uh, news gets out, so to speak, that uh, the company is getting closer to actually finalizing all the paperwork, if you will, and zoning changes and things that are required. Yeah. Um, then I think you'll see it kind of take off because there's nothing like it in the community. And it would be a tremendous, as you alluded to, It'd be a tremendous asset to the community to have, particularly, let's talk for a moment about the children. I'm always impressed by how many parents send their children to dance, even though they know 
that the chances of them ever becoming, quote, professional dancers is not their particular objective. There's a couple to do. We've got a couple of homegrown who are excellent. But what do they get out of just the discipline, Andy? Well, it, it gets um, the kids to have a well-rounded, you know, um, set of skills. Uh, you get a kid to uh, develop their bodies. You can, you can do swimming. You can do any kind of sport. You can do, you know, uh, any kind of uh, different things. The difference with dance is not just only develops the body it develops also the mind and the uh, the cultural aspect in the kids life so it deals with music coordination uh all, all kinds of, of things that uh, other activities won't um uh, really uh develop which means it combines uh things that you would only get if you get the kid to a literary thing or a, a music thing and it kind of begins to be a bunch of things that you have to reach out and put your kid in different uh, modalities as um, in dance you have a combined set of things that uh, will give kids a, a little more of a uh, I, think you, I think it's excellent you're right on point it's never thought of it that way but uh, you're synthesizing all these separate entities. Yeah. admirable in itself. But um, this is the whole package as, you know, it has music. It has physical activity. It has uh, group work and timing and um, apprenticeship and uh, all that business that uh, all roll up into one. And it is a culturally elite kind of um activity and that it's worldly recognized as as you alluded to a moment ago of uh, dancing in a, a facility in Brazil we don't have really that talk about that the facilities in the European countries and wherever you've been because dance is the, the buildings that you've danced in are older than this country is <laughs> right yeah. some of them some of them right yeah yeah yeah, Paris Opera, uh, I've been to it. Uh, I didn't actually dance in the building, but uh, Paris Opera, the Bolshoi Theater, the, the the Marinsky Theater in Russia, they're all like, you know, hundreds of years old. And uh, what happens in Europe is because dance was developed there, I mean, when I say dance, I'm talking about uh, classical ballet. Um, it will be, it was developed there, and everything else that sprouted from it kind of uh, came from that area to us. Uh, and in that sense, they have this facility of of uh, knowing and uh, understanding the classical ballet in a way that. Uh, in America, in Brazil, in, you know, our side of the world, dance teachers and dance uh, choreographers and uh, everybody that deals with ballet and, and dance in general, we're still developing the taste for it in our audience. I mean, Correct. even the, yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the audience in, in America that knows dance 
know certain things, but uh, most of our audience, the, the, the people that uh, come the first time or even, you know, people that have been coming for five or six years, they're still learning things like the gestures and um, communications that uh, it's funny because uh, in, in dance, we have some pantomimes that we use to convey uh, words, let's say. We, we don't speak, so certain things can be conveyed a certain way. And if you go to Europe, people know those things. Uh, it's like uh, sign language for deaf people. It's uh, people that know will just understand the gestures. And in dance, there are such gestures that people that know ballet will just understand them. But people that sit in the audience for the first time or uh, that are not, you know, completely uh, learned in such gestures, they will just sit and it will go right over their heads. They just see the, the nice dance show and some things will just not get explained. And uh, for us, they're pretty self-explanatory because we're actually saying little things with our gesture, but it will, yeah, it will go over people's heads sometimes because uh, that kind of learning that, that we didn't have here, that they have had for hundreds of years, we're still kind of putting that out there. Uh, other styles, modern dance, contemporary dance, they, they don't have that kind of stuff, but still things will will you know, things develop uh, really slowly in the, the the cultural world. As it in, in today's world, everything is very fast. You know, with internet and uh, information at the tip of your fingers, uh, you have a, a phone on your hand the whole day and can look up things about anything and everything. The the whenever you want, uh, the culture world doesn't move that fast and um, although we are trying to you know insert ourselves in the social medias and all of the aspects of this it's still a learning curve there that um, Europe is a little ahead of you know one of the places where this for one of the places where I think really years. done an excellent job in doing what you're talking about and I hadn't thought about it this way until just now, is in our Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah. The Dancing with the Stars has really done a lot of what you're talking about. All of a sudden, people are beginning to realize, hey, this is the place to be. Uh, this is the thing to know something about. You know, this is what well, we really need to round out our culture. And in that respect, I think um, we've learned to use social media wisely to promote that. And each year it gets bigger and bigger. We've been talking with Andy Valadon, who is gracious enough to be with us for a half an hour today. And I'm sure he's got other work he's got to go do now. <laughs> Although you're not in the active season right now. You guys are on a, so to speak, break. But he said you can't ever let the body decondition because oh. once it deconditions, you, you just can't get it back. And believe me, as I've gotten older, I really understand that, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I really understand that. Well, thanks so much for joining us. You're looking great. I've seen you with long hair. I've seen you with short hair. I've seen you with no hair. Uh, man, you can really do it all. And Yeah, uh, that's the summer hair. 
That's the summer hair. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. We've been talking with Andy Valadon, Andre Valadeo from Brazil, who has really uh, always been a delightful guest for Dancing with the Stars. We'll take a break here and talk about the weather. It's been rumbling right outside the uh, Manly Warthog Command Center here. So uh, we'll bring you the weather when we get back. Andy, we're going to take a break now. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to the uh, Ward Scott Files with Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. That's under siege right now from the heavens, pounding away with thunder and rain and lightning and uh, all the above. And we've got a lot of red cells coming across um, north central Florida today, promised by the radar that I'm looking at. And uh, I'm sure it will not disappoint us. We checked our rain gauge outside the uh, command center here this morning. We had four inches of rain in it. So... um, Everything is green, and, of course, the cattle are loving it. But um, when it rains, I did not do the naked rain dance. I, I, and, you know, this is just somebody blessing the world with water here, I guess. Although too much water can be a problem, 
and we do have some flooding warnings here. Uh, we're not as bad off as we had a weird issue in Myanmar County, Myanmar area of Broward County, which is under quarantine, believe it or not. You won't guess why. It has the an, a sighting of an invasive giant African land snail. And it's known to be one of the most dangerous species. Uh, this quarantine was announced uh, Tuesday after snails were detected earlier this month in Myanmar area of the county. And uh, the quarantine means it is illegal to move a giant African land snail or plants, which includes soil, compost, and yard waste, in or out of the area without a compliance agreement from the Agricultural Department. Um, This is very interesting. I've never heard of this before. Uh, It's going to require treatment methodology uh, with a particular type of um, poison, of course, that uh, goes after this snail that is not uh, normally used. And so there's a lot of uh, consternation about this. And the giant African land snails eat at least, get this, 500 different types of plants. And they can also chomp through stucco, plastic recycling bins, and even signs. Uh, They have calcium shells uh, with pointy edges sharp enough to blow out tires of vehicles that run over them. And the concern is that they'll spread and devastate Florida agriculture. You know, we have this problem in Florida of um, non-native invasive species in plants and animals. Um, They also pose a health risk to humans because they carry a parasite called rat lungworm, which can also cause meningitis. So um, there you go. This condition would lead to swelling and membranes surrounding the brain and spinal cord. Well, who'd have thunk it? I mean, come on. Enough is enough. Do we need to hear any more? That's kind of my weather report for today. And it's um, kind of unusual with the African land snail that uh, can chomp through stucco and puncture your tires. Um, there you are. Well, some stories here that I've been asked to talk about, which I'll talk briefly about, um, that have happened that we didn't talk about yesterday. Um the the um, eternal discussions of law enforcement. You know, law enforcement is ever since Obama. Oh golly, you remember when uh, the cops um, arrested the black gentleman who was a, turned out to be a college professor for trying to break into his own home and this, that, one, and another. Well, Obama used that as a ploy to divide the country racially and play the race card. But he purported to be trying to unite the country. Uh, He was going to get the cop together with the victim, if you will, and basically make the victim the hero and the cop the villain and have a beer. And it was called a beer garden resolution or something. It had a name. It got promoted. The media picked it up as this great unifier of the cops and the blacks. Well, 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 you know how that turned out. Uh, it did not turn out to be a unifier. It turned out to be a divider. And now we have got this going on all across the Democrat-led uh, cities in the state, nation, area, this battle over what's the role of law enforcement, what's the role of canines here locally. And the sheriffs have always been 
ever since I've been around here under scrutiny. Um, I guess you could go back to the good old boy days of the sheriffs and um, much different world then. You could literally see a guy on a tractor, I've been told by the guys who were in law enforcement then, and pull over the side of the road and say, how would you like to be a cop? Get off the uh, tractor and come with me. And those guys, next thing you know, had a badge and were a cop. Uh, that's changed. You have to have formal training, education, this, that, one, another. And, of course, the budgets have gotten bigger and more formal. And um, there we are. We're uh, fast forward now to all the complications with Floyd and Minneapolis, and uh, we've covered that story. And so the sheriffs have always been under scrutiny. I used to listen to Barley and the meetings before the meetings, complain about the sheriffs getting all the press and how the county commission couldn't govern them. And um, along comes the current sheriff, which is really, for whatever reasons, has an escape hits personal sort of version of this scrutiny. And um, we've been following it and talking about it uh, because it's a topic. It's a, a charter officer. And one of the interesting things about this story is that uh, the way it's been covered by Andrew Kaplan. Um, Andrew Kaplan has got an article about Watson, and uh, it's got a couple of weird statements in it that you can only wonder about. If you pull that article, uh, in the beginning is a weird sentence that says uh, 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 Watson, by deciding to not seek re-election, has given up the last two and a half years of his uh, office uh, office as sheriff. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. He didn't resign effective now. See, it is where you got to watch these people. Um, he didn't resign effective. This letter I have dated June 20th. The letter says, Supervisor Barton, this letter served as my formal written notification of my withdrawal bid for re-election for Sheriff Olachua County. It says nothing about resigning. And then says, I would like to thank you and your staff for all your assistance and guidance during my time as a candidate. I'm truly grateful to those who've donated to my campaign and will be returning all donations to the individual contributors. He doesn't even say when he will return. There's nothing to keep all this sheriff from changing his mind. I mean, really? I mean, he could write another letter a year from now and say, you know, I've looked at who wants to be the sheriff. They all suck or whatever, you know. And so I think I'll throw my hat back in the ring. There's nothing. He didn't resign. And yet if you go read Andrew Kaplan's column, well, the last next two and a half years until 2025, I guess Watson's going to be out on a tractor somewhere. That's not true. That's one thing that stuck out. I thought, why in the heck would you write that? That's just stupid. It's not even accurate. So I wanted to set the record straight on that. Secondly, in that same article, Kaplan says there's dozens and dozens of subpoenas the state attorney has issued to investigate Watson. Let's talk about a couple of things about that, which strike me and the investigator instigator kind of odd. When we took our presentation to Kramer about Barton's behavior, alleged behavior, 
in recruiting people from the jail to vote. The instigator and investigator, both that I remember, the state attorney saying, well, Martin's a charter officer and I'm a charter officer and I, I can't investigate other charter officers. We both remember that. If, if we remember it wrong, they need to correct us. Yeah, here is a charter officer, the state attorney, issuing subpoenas to investigate another charter officer, the sheriff. And supposedly at the behest of Booby Franks, whom we understand wants to be the state attorney after this state attorney is mustered out. I mean, that's what we've been told. It's just a story. Odd, really odd. And we've always heard the number of subpoenas was nine, not dozens and dozens and dozens. Now you have to ask yourself, what the hell is Andrew Kaplan doing? Slinging around dozens and dozens and dozens as a phrase and misunderstanding this letter which I have in my hand. I mean, now, where do we go from here? Let's suppose the current sheriff does carry through with this letter. Who do I think is waiting in the wings? Listen, there are two black gentlemen in this community who are routinely rotated through positions and paid high salaries. Okay? One is a Republican and one is a Democrat. They, they, they show up for everything. If you need a Republican black, you use this guy. You stick him on the board. You stick him this and that. It's Robert Woody. Always there. Where do you need me next? And the Democrat is Tony Jones. Nobody can figure out what Tony Jones is doing right now. Waiting in the wings for something. Being paid handsomely. Don't be surprised if Tony Jones is sticking there for sheriff. Why? Tony Jones is compliant to the liberal community. Do you follow this? The liberal community. So these are some of the things that are swirling in the pot. We just brought in some guys, an assistant chief from Long Island and paying that guy a ton of money. And the, the cops that communicate with me want to know why in the world didn't GPD promote assistant chief from within? Especially in this austerity time. I just want to dip my toe in this discussion. Law enforcement is difficult because, first of all, you've got to herd those cops. And they have all got their own macho trip. And in the case of the women, they can be pretty aggressive as well. I mean, that's what they're there for. To be the most dominant presence that shows up at the crime scene. 
at the same time diplomatic. I've done ride-alongs. I go out towards Hot Bulletin Board and read my story called The Ride-Along. You'll see what it's like. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's not a small organization. And, you know, you know, you go to these other places, you go to over to Gilchrist County, you got a smaller force, you got a rural force, you got rural people, you know, you kind of come up from within the county. Uh, you know, you get in these big places, you've got some complicated situation. You get in a place like Minneapolis, God forbid. It's so politicized now, I don't know how in the heck you can get anybody to work there. You got these guys who don't know anything about being a cop, who want to give the criminal all the rights. I mean, that's what Barton was doing in the jug, signing up these guys who were felons, trying to act as if they had as much right to vote as somebody who lived a good life. And these felons, by the way, are not lightly like criminals. I mean, they've got, we got the rap sheets on them. And some of them are hardened sexual predators. But that's the movement right now. You know, take away the canines, all the, take away the helicopter. We don't want a militarized police force. What the hell is a police force? A bunch of bobbies like in England with no guns? Go ask New York City. You know, find out what they're doing. In New York City, they increased the doggone trigger pull, I'm told, to almost 10 pounds, just so it make it difficult for the cop to pull the trigger. We got guys at the range who modify their trigger to two pounds. Come on. So I don't know why my, my beef here is with Kaplan. I mean, to, for not getting his facts straight. And if he's going to sling around a term like dozens, what the heck is going on with that term? Huh? And I got to say, it starts with this dadgum Obama, in a way. Here's another article that just came out a couple of days ago. Well, it came out yesterday or today. Um, analyzing Obama's attack on Tim Scott, the Republican presidential candidate. And Obama hasn't appeared in public at all much during Joe Biden's presidency. But now he comes out from under the House to make a point to derogate a black Republican explicitly on a basis of race. Come on. I thought you were the great unifier. This is going to trickle down, of course, to the police and law and order and safety and security of people who, you know, expect to have some kind of return on their money, their cost them for a police force. Uh, Obama said that Scott lacks legitimacy and credibility as a black man simply because he's a Republican. Meanwhile, California has spent $17 billion on homelessness the past four years. Public housing projects built in the 60s are deteriorating. In New York, uh, the governor and the mayor have made the creation of affordable housing a priority. Good luck on that. Mass shootings in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, 
San Francisco, Milwaukee. In the Chicago area alone, some people, 60-some people shot over the weekend. And, and, and take a look at education. All they've done is create the rise of the charter school movement and the school choice programs. People are bailing out of the public school system. I, I, I brought that to your attention in Minneapolis. Minneapolis used to have a wonderful, wonderful public school system. I mean, top drawer. Um, meanwhile, when you take a look at the reports, uh, there's a 13-point decline in reading scores for black students since just before the pandemic. Huh? So what do you think is going on here? Basically, what this editorial about uh, in the journal says that every since George Floyd's killing, they don't call it a murder. I'm reading a sentence to you from the article in the journal. Here's the paragraph. Race in America is running perilously, perilously off the rails following George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis in May 2020. A killing is different from a murder. Furthermore, the next sentence says, the language around race has become intense, escalating to charges of irresolvable systemic racism or white supremacy. This started with Obama. And now we have the indictment of a subway rider in New York over a fatal chokehold that's become a racial, a racial incident. Meanwhile, California, which is a non-slave state, has a debate over how much racial reparation payments should be, and they go all the way up to $1.2 million per person. What in the world are we talking about? I think the public needs to know why Brian Kramer, according to Andrew Kaplan, has issued dozens and dozens and dozens of subpoenas on Alachua County's first black sheriff. I'm not taking sides for or against the sheriff because I've been around so many sheriffs. But I'm telling you, that needs to be publicly disclosed. Wouldn't you think? Don't you think? With all this other crap going on? Huh? You've got a Republican state attorney and a Republican liar representing disgruntled personnel problems in cahoots, evidently, with subpoenas. And Kaplan specifically mentions them and doesn't ever explain them. You tell me. You tell me. Don't you think as a community we need to know this? You think that Gainesville some will write about this kind of cleanly? I don't think they will. 
And you don't think this gang thing can't get out of hand? You go talk to some of the guys around here who are on the beat all the time. You know, the worst incident of it right now, example, is Haiti. It's all black. And they're killing each other with machetes. You, you understand that, don't you? It is gang battles. They're killing each other with machetes. It's out of control. They've always ripped each other off, all the way back to uh, the days when Papa Doc was there. I don't know. I don't know how we got stuck in this rut. I mean, I really don't. Except you could trace this particular latest version, I think, back to Obama's beer garden talk. I mean, where else can you go with it? I don't remember it being that this bad until he became the president and was supposed to be the great unifier and has become actually the great divider. I'm just checking my chat line to see how y'all are handling my discussion. But I'm saying we deserve to know as a community what is going on with a state attorney charter officer investigating another charter officer. And you can go back and look at this exchange of letters between Barton and Kramer and see what I'm talking about. It's more than passing weird. I don't communicate with Andrew Kaplan. He didn't communicate with me. But that kind of comment needs explanation. Well, we made it through the storms. Uh, we've got some rumbling out here going on. We're going to have some more red cells. We appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you tomorrow. Or hold Command Center out.